Hello, and welcome to the Inspiring Leadership Podcast. We trust you'll benefit from our unique lineup of CEOs, generals, and leaders from all business sectors. Whether you're an aspiring, inspiring leader or a seasoned leader seeking further motivation, this podcast provides you with practical life tips, sound wisdom, and world-class leadership advice. I'm your host, Jonathan Bowman-Perks. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's Inspiring Leadership Podcast. I'm delighted to have a guest that we connected on LinkedIn. He's uh, an avid follower of the podcast himself. Without further ado, would you introduce yourself, Doug? Yep. Hi. Thanks, Jonathan. I'm Doug, Chief Executive of the Vibrant East of England Co-op, a cooperative society which is over 150 years young and continues to grow with purpose and passion. Well, it's lovely. Purpose and passion is is what people get up to do. It's an interesting one, actually, the whole thing of purpose and passion. Having a sense of why we do what we do and being excited about it gets people out of bed. But uh, if they're just grinding and doing a job, it's it's awful. Uh, what, what what does it mean to you, Doug? Purpose and passion. You know why why is it so important to you and the people you work with? Well, for the things you just said, really, Jonathan. I think it it gets people up. It helps them to do their best. I think it helps them to live to be more fulfilling, meaningful. Work's a really important thing, isn't it? And having meaning in your life really helps you be the best you can be. I think. Yeah, I mean, I think back to days when I was on guard duty in the army, uh, guarding a um, barracks or some place against some fictitious enemy that wasn't ever there. Um, and that felt pretty soulless, I must admit. But then, of course, one day it comes when you do have to guard something and someone comes to attack it. And if you're just thinking there's no one there, as um, I found when we were doing our cycle tour, 500 kilometers in five days in northern France, ready money for help for heroes and uh, the inspire leadership foundation um you know there were guys like the, the german luftwaffe who were guarding at bruneval the uh the uh radar that the germans had and they thought nah, no one's ever going to come down and suddenly in the middle of the night some british paratroopers landed uh kidnapped one of their radar operators nicked their radar and got away with it so uh you gotta gotta be prepared for guarding but have you ever had a job where it's been pretty soulless. I mean, you don't need to name the organisation if you're if it's uh, if you're protecting the 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 guilty. But have you ever found you've been doing some stuff and you thought I, I don't want to carry on doing this because it's really hasn't got a sense of purpose to it? Yeah, I suppose, yeah, a couple of times, especially when I was a student at university, I did a couple of um, night shifts washing bread trays. That mm-hmm. was uh, twelve hours of putting a plastic bread tray to a washing machine was thing and done some packing of frozen frozen fish so things like that yeah that you just but i think it does it shows you the important but i still think there's learnings you can take from that if you frame it correctly you know thinking now it teaches you sort of you know it helps inspire me to do to be some do something else so yeah so i think it does help if you take it in the right way and learn from the experience i did some greenhouse work as well that's a similar sort of thing yeah yeah and i think for my my takeaway from things i've done which were pretty soulless is that then, for example, when my own soldiers were on guard duty as the duty officer, going round rather than having uh, you know outrageous time getting drunk in the officer's mess, you know, I got up at three in the morning and went down to see the guys who were on guard and have a talk with them because I knew what it was like. And I think this is part of the problem uh, for some leaders is they've never experienced 
what it's like for the people they're leading. They cannot connect and relate to them. And um, I think that's the difference between some inspiring leaders and some expiring leaders is that the amount they care about the people they lead and how they can relate to them. What, what's your thoughts, Doug? I think that's absolutely right, Jonathan. I think the other thing is that you shouldn't ask people to do something you want to prepare to do it yourself. Yeah. Having that sort of mindset and I've, you know, the, the, the New Zealand, I know you, the New Zealand All Blacks are sort of sweeping the changing room or that sort of leaving it in a better state than you found it. I think it's that sort of level of commitment is what drives really high performing teams and cultures and that, you know, you've got to be able to prepare to do whatever it, well, not whatever it takes, but you've got to do what other people, you ask other people to do. Yeah, that, that really takes me back. Uh, when I was doing the airborne training to try and get my, my parachute wings and my maroon berry um, and be part of the airborne fraternity, uh, after we'd done a long a long uh, march in um, the aptly named Long Valley, sort of up to our knees in mud and stuff and all all shattered, we all finished the parade in the gym and then everybody left and they went, whoa, whoa, whoa. Captain Perks, come here. And he and the corporal gave me a brush and he said, sweep the gym, sir. Like just like that little little yeah. bit of respect, but hardly any there. I think it, the word sir was added with disdain. And so yeah, there I was with a small bass brush, um, sweeping the whole of the gym. I think it took me an hour. And every time he'd come back and find some other dust and he'd go, there's some more over here. Uh, and I was really raging inside against him. I thought this was victimization. He was picking on me. Uh, this was a guy who the next day got me to one of the uh, weaker uh, young uh, engineering sappers. He was struggling, a little lad, and he had a huge pack, about I think it's 55 pounds of kit and his rifle. And um, this guy was lagging at the back and I was encouraging. The officers were always expected to run back and, and come to the front again. And they had to be almost like twice as fit as the soldiers. And uh, I went back to encourage him. And the corporal said, carry his Bergen, sir. I went, but corporal, I've got my own Bergen. He said, I know, but carry his as well. Wow. And, I, and I could have to start to calculate, like, how am I going to do this? I can't put it on behind me because I've got this huge Bergen behind So... I said, hey, Jennings, give me a Bergen. And I put my arms out and he put it onto the front of me. And then Jennings shot off like a rabbit to catch the group because he he had no Bergen at all. He was happy. <laughs> off he goes. And and the corporal was just waiting for me to break and get on the jack wagon when you sort of give up. And I wasn't going to do it. I was going to keep going. And I, I couldn't run. I just physically, with that amount of weight, it wasn't possible. But I just kept walking one foot in front of the other. And he goes, admit you're a loser just give up mate just give up. you're never you know you're not airborne material you're not going to make it i said thank you corporal i am and i just kept going and just kept going and he got irritated because of course he, he wasn't riling me i wasn't giving up and they went jennings come back here you get you know carry your bergen and so jennings put his bergen back on and but but by that stage i was shattered i could just catch up with the group and I was just concentrating one foot in the other. I probably couldn't lead very well. And, and that's the thing. When you're absolutely physically shattered, you cannot think well. And so we'll come on to talk about that in health and well-being. But just one counter, Doug, I think, for, for that old motto that we all know well, which is to be prepared to not to do anything that you wouldn't expect, uh, not to ask others to do anything you wouldn't expect to do yourself. 
is that we need to empower and elevate the people who we lead rather than doing lots of their small jobs. There is a danger, Doug, for you and I and others to end up doing other people's jobs for them. And and that disempowers them. Uh, have you ever found yourself getting dragged into doing stuff that really you spend too much time on and you should be elevating yourself to, to get the big stuff done? Absolutely, Jonathan, you're absolutely right. You've got to get the right balance. And it is that sort of, it's not symbolic, but it's doing the right the right bits of that and then there is oh, plenty of times where I feel that I've um, brought myself not down not the right word got myself involved in things that really I've got to let the other team do and it's been a big learning for me especially on my leadership journey about that the importance of delegation empowerment and how you know and because that gives meaning doesn't it that goes back to that meaning and passion you do that if you can empower them and give them give them the the ability to to influence and being the more control they can have, the more the more meaning people find, don't they? Exactly. No, I think it's so well put that the whole point is any of us, we, we love to have as much control as we can over what we do. Um, we love to feel that we have an impact on the outcome and that we can think for ourselves. Now, some people like other people to think for them, but generally most people like to think for themselves. And that takes us on to inspiring leaders. So Doug, in your experience, um, I'm always interested in, you know, who you have found inspiring and who would you want to give a shout out for? Um, name them, if you would, and 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 what qualities you admired about them. I think it's what is what we just been talking about. Jonathan. The people who inspire me and as many of them are people who, um, who 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 create who make the sum of the parts add up more than one plus one. It's the people who create that sort of who instill that passion and purpose. And there's some great, I often use sport as a great metaphor for leadership because I think they're, they have some great, because they can focus and be really strict on their prioritization and things like that. There's some really good lessons from leadership there. But, and then the CEOs I work with locally, who I've learned through when I was involved in local enterprise partnership, who, who, um, who um, really inspired me. And I learned a lot from, observing what they do and how they manage their businesses all different businesses and um, people who who can instill that passion and the purpose and and really just get their people to do to, to be their, deliver on their potential which is such a and when it's when they achieve more than they think is possible that's when you know you've really made a market it's the CEOs that can do that time and time again. And you see it with football teams, don't you? The manager can do it once, but not many of them can reinvent the team all the time. And yeah. it's the longevity is really important. Okay. And and who would you call out in particular, if you would name a couple? I think so Alex Ferguson is always the one that people call out for reinventing the team. But I think locally, there's a there's a chief executive of a brewing company and Dr. Andy Wood of Adnum, who does a fantastic job of, you know, creating a real sort of, almost a movement of fans of their their beer is and we st- obviously we stock it in our stores and they do a great job but he's been a real sort of someone i've learned a lot from and then there's been a number of leaders when i was at pd partners at pwc where you pick and choose bits of what they did which was really sort of how they how they worked with their clients and stuff was really interesting as well a- anyone in particular at pwc i mean we've both been there you and i served anybody um, you give a shout a part- out Particular partner Stephen Harrison, he's retired now, but he, yeah, he was a real sort of, he was a hard taskmaster. But I learned a lot, and I still use some of the stuff we learned 
financially in my day job now. So, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's great. And so um, th- these are people in your life, uh, apart from Alex, uh, who I don't think you know personally, but they're, they're people in your life who've either directly or indirectly impacted you. Um, tell us about your life. You know, how, how did you grow up and who shaped you? What was what was your, you know, your upbringing like and, and who were the people who influenced you? That's a, that's a good question. I think I doubt. Um, so I grew up in East Yorkshire or Humberside, as it was then, uh, just in the shadow of the Humber Bridge. Um, and then went across to, um, did the sort of GCSEs, A-levels, went across to university, went to a small town in North Wales called Bangor. Interestingly, mm-hmm. we had our 30-year reunion last last weekend, which was quite good to see a few people I hadn't seen for 30 years. And but then you realise how much influence that has. That was a big influence at university, um, that that exposure. I didn't do myself justice there, and that helped me focus and get better now, I think, thinking about that. I did. Um, I wasn't very sporty when I was a child, but I have um, I did karate and I achieved a black belt, which was, wow. which was really good in terms of discipline and that focus that I think that I've learned from and, the other thing, the other lesson I didn't realise was about hard work and how important that is in everything. And when you reflect back, that's something that you really sort of, you really realise is such an important characteristic that it can't be underestimated. You can't, but it's working smart as well, not just continually grinding out, doing the same thing. Uh, and um, I think when we were talking uh, about this in, in the warm-up before when we uh, first chatted, uh, I seem to remember both of us were bullied at school. Uh, was that uh, for you when you were bullied? Did that motivate you to get go and do the karate and get your black belt so you could sort yourself out? I think so. Yeah, it did. I, whether it worked or not is a different matter, but I think it definitely, it definitely did, and it definitely, it definitely shaped me. It definitely, yeah, it's not something I sort of black it out now. I suppose really, Jonathan, but you know, it's something I'm definitely aware of with my children mm. to make sure that they don't have that experience. Yeah, because you got you got teenagers. What is it, 10, 13, and six? I seem to remember. Yeah, although the six is more nearer thirteen, I think she's a girl. So. <laughs> but it but it is interesting this 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 whole thing of let's just stay with it for a moment. This whole thing of how you get on at school, how your kids get on, and whether you're lucky or unlucky with school bullies or people who want to make uh, a bit like Donald Trump throw their weight around to just use their power over other people and um i know they they don't often prepare us in life for a situation like that and sometimes it makes you try even harder i certainly know i did but other times it can make you withdraw into yourself and the worst was part of when i was i was 17 to 18 and i was being teased i wasn't physically being bullied but it was just being name called and things like that for for being too nice a nice bloke um by a couple of people with the sort of chip on their shoulder. Um, and uh, I remember pinning the bully uh, behind a door one time and just saying, why are you doing this? And he goes, well, it's because I see what I could be like if I was like you, and I don't like seeing that, and so I'm going to make your life difficult for you. I thought, right. wow, that's really twisted. Well, what yeah. about you? Did you ever confront the bullies or did you ever deal with them? Um not effectively, I don't think in the right way. I did lash out occasionally, I suppose, but yeah, I don't think 
I did, but I no, I didn't really deal with it in a way that I'm comfortable with really, Jonathan. I think it's a um but I do think that has those those formative years are really important, aren't they? And they do help and that your your leadership becomes sort of back to your sort of is your skills and experience toolbox, isn't it? Yeah. Every sort of interaction is something that you either going to help you or hinder you going forward. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it, they talk about the, the age up to 13, certainly went into the Hoffman Institute process, which I do recommend. I might have mentioned it before. And I had um, Serena Gordon, the uh, the UK managing director on a recent one. I don't know if you've listened to that. It's well worth listening yeah, to Serena. Good, yeah. Did you do listen to that? Um, what, what did you, anything you took away from her, her conversation about Hoffman and our lives and negative love and things like that? No, earlier in that, I think I am. Um... I need to do, I need to invest in that sort of therapy, really. So I know that I, that I need to, I need to look at that. I've got some challenges with my children at the moment. And, you know, I think it would help. And so I think just, I think you've got to, it's funny, isn't it? You get, you get a personal trainer for your fitness, but doing it for your mind is some, it's not quite at the same level yet. I think it's something that's got to change. In society, and it is changing. I can see that, but it's something that, people have got to do more of so i think so and, it, and and i found of all the development courses i've done up to my age now of 61 it was the most powerful and uh i've just reached out this morning because i have a little book that sort of followed on for 365 days from from the course which i did in december last year and uh it was you know reach out to some people from your course and so i've just reached out to a couple from my course who i've stayed in touch with um a number of the course members still keep meeting up with each other i think it's a it's a very powerful uh, element of self-awareness and some practical actions that you can take. But, but if we don't address them, the issues that we had when we were children still drive our behavior now. And, and it's probably not the healthiest behavior. And also your children of 6, 10 and uh, 13 are learning you. They're not learning what you say. They're learning how you behave. So if you can address those issues... You'll be a fabulous father. I'm sure you're always a, a great father now, and a, and a better husband and a better friend. Um, I certainly have found it, it's really helped me. Anyway, no, I think you're absolutely right, and you see it. You start, and as they grow up, you do start to see your own traits and your own sort of failings or or weaknesses. These do start to see them appear in your children. It's it's a most amazing. I think I probably learned more about leadership having children than. Not any development course I've been on. I, I was just thinking that before, as I was walking the dog this morning, and I, I I was listening to a very good one by Eric Gritchins called Resilience, which I'm, it's a book I'm going to review in a couple of weeks' time when I finish reading it. But it, it's letters from a Navy SEAL to another Navy SEAL who's gone through uh, his alcoholism and a few problems, and he's trying to help him. That that you can't really. Um, empathize with people and explain to people how to deal with the situation unless you've sometimes been in it yourself so for example i find now being a grandfather my my stepson and his wife have got a two-year-old and a one-year-old uh, and i understand a bit more about being a grandparent by having that experience like being a parent you can understand it and i think um you don't have to do everything in life but i do think it allows you to have an element of sympathy um, but also the empathy of understanding someone who's different or what they're going through when you've experienced yourself. Everybody's experiences are different, but I think having gone through something 
allows you to better understand others, doesn't it? Well, yeah, absolutely. And I think what it allows you to do is get those deep connections. Mm. And therefore, with those deep connections, you can relate to people. You can, and they, you could not help, you can then understand them. And by understanding them, that's a massive, a massive, important, a really important part of being a night just a nice person isn't it and being someone who can then help and help help them yeah and and think about helping them i mean i seem to remember when we were chatting about your upbringing that an important person to you was your grandfather uh who supported and helped you as you went on then to hazelwoods and pwc do you want to tell me a bit about yeah, your gran- was, grandfather my grandmother a grandmother actually my um, a grandmother no 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 yeah she um yeah she was a real support she was later in life she's you know, she was well into her sixties when she decided that because when in her generation she she wasn't allowed to carry on at school. They were just they had to go to work, and so but she was always felt she could do something. So she then went out and as a grandmother, and it wasn't heard of. And as they really went and did sort of GCSEs and A levels, just because she knew she could and sort of did her A level English that she'd wow. always to do when she was school. And yeah, she she helped fund um, a an accounting qualification for me, which was, which was great. And that helped me. Well, it, it, I wouldn't be here. I am today without, I wouldn't have become a chartered accountant if it wasn't for that sort of that jump start at the beginning. Yeah. Uh, well, it, it is people who see the, the good in this that really help us. And, and those accounting qualifications, what, what have you done with them? I mean, clearly you've now ended up as a CEO in the co-op group, but, but what have you done with them? Well, I think it's, um, I think I've used them as a springboard, really. And I think it's, I yeah, I, and it's helped me achieve, as I said, it's helped me become a CEO. But I think it's, as much as that, it's about understanding, understanding numbers is important. But what I've learned through the organisations I've worked for is a more, it's all about the people. And that has, that didn't come from the qualifications, but the qualifications gave me the opportunity to work in organisations that understood that. And then I've learned from that as well, because, you know, Numbers don't come to your rescue. It's the people who do, isn't it? Well, talk about the people. You are, of course, very modest about it, but you are Doug Field OBE, otherwise known as Other Buggers Efforts. Yeah, uh, as we say in Yorkshire, and um, that's a that's a huge achievement. And uh, congratulations. What did you get the OBE for? What was the job you were doing at the time that they recognised you for? I got it for services to business in Norfolk and Suffolk related to some time I spent on the local enterprise partnership. Um, New Angular Local Enterprise Partnership, which is a um, a uh, organisation that combines um, public sector, the, the education system, and businesses, all designed to generate economic growth in Norfolk and Suffolk. But you know, very humbling experience, and very much a feel is it was a team thing. So, as a figurehead, as a chair, but you know, it was none of it was possible without the team and the people who did the day-to-day work, really, and the board of directors who I learned an amazing amount from. I remember going up on the first day I was appointed chair. The previous chair had, had got the meeting in our holidays. I was at Centre Parks. I was driving up, thinking, I actually haven't chaired a meeting before. This is a bit, um, it's going to be a bit experience, isn't it? <laughs> when I've been appointed chair. So, yeah, it was a good thing. And then, never forget, I left the suit at Centre Parks. My wife had to go back and get it the next day. So, yeah, when we left. <laughs> So do you appear in Hawaiian beach shirt? No, I, know. Had, I had the suit on, but when we left at the park at the end of the week's holiday, oh, I had to, we, my wife's flashing. We were in two cars, so I had to go and do this thing. And she's going, 
ringing going, oh, no, I wasn't answering the phone. She said, no, you've left your suit, haven't you? And I said, yeah, I have, yeah. <laughs> Turn around, <laughs> get it. Oh, you got it. So you did get your suit. That's great. Okay, well, that's not too bad a moment, but we we all do have bad moments in life, which um, at the time seem like a total disaster. But uh, with the test of time, we can look back and learn from it. Um, For you, Doug, what was a dark moment in your life and and what did you learn from that moment? I suppose a dark moment was a bit of a... was about my was when it was ego related so i got somebody somebody beneath me at pwc then got promoted above me and that is a um you know that feels like a real sort of kick in the teeth and it's you know that that was hard to take not least since the both of us were going on holiday to new york the next day so but you know what it did it, it really did help me in the long run it it showed where i needed to improve and it gave me focus and it gave me drive and and I've and I'm much a better person for it. But at the time it felt awful. And especially to me then spending a few days away with the, the person it was with. So yeah. But was it is it a dark moment? I don't know. It's definitely it was definitely an ego bash anyway. And mm. yeah. It was hard to deal with, I suppose, in a short time, but longer term, absolutely brilliant for me and helped me change my attitude and mindset. So I think so. I think there are a number of moments I've had in my career where things didn't quite work out as you imagined. You had a vision of how the world should be. And then the reality of how the world was came up. And um, the Stoics call it the art of acquiescence, being able to accept things as they are, uh, not as you want them to be. Now, um, you know, some of some of the leaders who've done some amazing things try and get the world to change to how they want it to be, but like Montgomery, yeah, and uh, who insisted everything should fit to his uh, micro controlling plans, and often he got it that way, but many times he didn't. Uh, with Operation Market Garden, uh, with uh, Bridge Too Far, it didn't kind of work out as he thought it would do. But um, I, I think that's always useful to us to learn humility uh of when we just get a bit like icarus getting a bit too close to the sun thinking that we're rather godlike and everything's going our way and then suddenly life has a way of teaching you a salutary lesson pretty quickly doesn't it oh absolutely yeah yeah i've had a few of those okay and um then if 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 doug field was to go back to the future and meet the young doug age 16 to 18 just like you've You've got your kids coming up to this sort of age now. What bit of advice would you say? This matters, but you know, don't worry about that. What would be your advice? I think the thing that I've had to work the hardest on is about um, communication, sort of that empathy, there's social skills. So that was not something that, so I think that's an important area that people underestimate because in the school system, you're just, it's all about exams and there's so much more there's, the whole approach to sort of that sort of communication there's there's real human skills that you that absolutely if you want to take people on a journey if you want to go go further and faster you need to have people with you and that bit i think is something i i learned late in life mm. but i learned i think that is something that can certainly really turbocharge individuals so. uh, really great advice and just as you were saying that, I was thinking 
all the training that we have, uh, many of the C-suite leaders that I coach in teams or as individuals, incredible skills and abilities they have, huge amount of knowledge and experience that they've done. But it's a bit like a language. They they either haven't learned enough about public speaking, their ability to get a message across clearly, succinctly, and specifically, or listening. And and particularly listening is the the greatest blind spot for many of us. I know I can always be a better listener. And, uh, you know, I might practice it during the day in the coaching with, you know, facilitating a board, a chair and her board with the non-execs and then also with the execs there as well. It required an awful lot of listening. But then there's a danger you come home to your nearest and dearest. You go, I can relax now. I don't need to do this listening thing. Um, But actually, you need to do it even more. And there's times when you just have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and go, whoa, whoa, come on. Are you really listening to to ignite their thinking, to help them think better? Or are you listening to respond or just get your point across? Or have you even stopped listening? What do you think about those two skills, the, the actual public speaking and the skill of really listening? Absolutely. The really listening one is absolutely right. And the bit you, you just said there about listening to be understood, the listening to be understood, the listening to sort of respond back and even just how you sit, I've done some work, you know, sit with your feet on the floor, all that sort of presence stuff. So you do listen. You can do a lot with just how you approach it. So, and I think listening is so important because whether you don't understand, you can't you can't move forward with empathy. So, and then to communicate, the open public speaking is is important, but it's as much as about the messages you communicate. And I think um, there's a phrase I've heard recently, which is really resonating, which I'm thinking about a lot, which is message sent versus message received. It's easy to press send on a message, but does it mean it's actually received and understood? And that, for me, is where the real skill in public speaking is. It's all right saying what you say, but it's making sure it's understood. And, and so that, for me, and I thought it was a fantastic phrase, real sort of real sort of inspirational sort of thinking really gets you thinking, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I, I'm, I've got a, from Australia a lovely man called Oscar Trimboli, who I've listened to a number of his books on how to listen is one of his latest books. And, and he was just interested in you and any of the listeners, any great questions that you might have for him about listening. So if you were to ask Oscar a question about the skills of listening, what would your question be, Doug? That's a really, a really um, good question. I suppose the one is, is about, how do you um, how do you switch the key? The bit you were just talking about, Jonathan, when you get home from work and you have to sort of continually to be probably more engaged in listening. How do you get how do you get the right mindset to be to be able to listen properly? Because that is about being present, isn't it? There's so many factors to be able to be listening. You can't be distracted. It's how do you get that sort of right? That's not a very badly worded question, but the theme would be about how you get to um, be in the right place to do the best listening you can. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a great question. I'll put it to him. I'll put it to him when we when we do the podcast together. Thank you for that. Um, if you could change anything in your life, uh, what would you change? Or have you had a crucible moment that sort of shaped the leader you are today, Doug? Is there anything that sticks in your mind? I don't, there's not one thing. I think there's a few things I could have, I could have worked harder at university. I think I could have lots of things I think I could have improved. But I think without those experiences, you wouldn't be the leader you are today. So 
it is hard. I think I've been on a sort of learning journey. I've done some strength work some recently, and I'm and my number one strength was learner. I think um, as long as you take so it's hard to identify one crucial moment, but things like getting my black belt where it helped me focus and discipline and certain sort of milestones in your life, but and working with the best of the best of PWC and all that sort of things have been real being exposed to some amazing individuals and experiences have all helped me be the person I am today. Yeah. Yeah. I think that 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 um that whole area around learning being a know it all is very painful. Being a learn it all is much more helpful as someone once said. I'm a learn it all. I, I like to try and learn as much as I can and then apply it. And um I get the sense, you know, that we wouldn't be chatting if it wasn't the case for you. You know, this this is uh, it's a, a big issue to have a chat with 125 different countries and over a hundred thousand people listening to you as you talk about your life and your inner thoughts. Um and I and I think if you come from a place that you want to help people learn and you want to pass on what you've learned and what people have kindly taught you, then that's a, a much healthier place to be, a place uh, a less ego um, and more more learning. Let's go around the inspiring leadership compass. Um, there's eight points that we find make high performing leaders and teams in the work that Lee and I have done and the psychometric we've created. And the first one is moral quotient. Uh, you know, your values, your beliefs, what you stand for, what you won't fall for. How have you responded when you let your values slip? What did you, what's your tip of how to pull yourself back? I think the key is to try not make the same mistake twice, mm-hmm. is to learn from the experience, you know, and just be prepared to put yourself in a position where it can happen again, but then don't make the same mistake. So, you know, I've made some made plenty of mistakes in my career and i think it's well i don't think i've made them repeatedly mm. and that's where especially on the moral things that's exactly where it's vitally important that you learn from that you know you wish you know something happened and you wish you'd said something at the time the next time something like that happens i say something so i think that's that's it's about doing the right thing isn't it even when no one's watching you sort of get that, get that message across I think so. It makes makes me think about also the power of apology. Um, I was married for 23 years in my first marriage to Bridget. And recently after the Hoffman process, I wrote a very powerful letter just thanking her for all that she'd done to support me during the marriage and, and the, our two daughters, bring up two lovely daughters who we're now going to both be at their wedding next month and uh, in September. Um, and, and And also apologizing to her for any hurt that I'd caused her uh, and unreservedly apologizing and wishing her well and every happiness and health in the future. Got a lovely letter back from her, equally powerful, equally no hidden nasty agenda. It was just a lovely letter. And I, I, it just, I know about it, but actually doing it when it's, it's a tough one to do it with where you, you've, you've had some difficult times uh, as well as the good times. I, I think the apology, the, unreserved unconditional apology to someone when you've got things wrong it takes real kahunas and uh have you ever done that where you've really apologized to somebody yeah mostly my wife i think yeah um yeah no absolutely you're completely right you've just got to just put your hand up and say yeah i've made a mistake and 
I wouldn't do it that way again. And I think especially um, especially it happens in moments of sort of high stress or or when you've when you're not at your best. Mm-hmm. And that's why I find that these things happen the most. And that's that that's why you've got to keep continually looking after yourself. Yeah, I was smiling. I was just thinking about a moment last night where I'd come back from a, a dinner with clients and uh, Lee had been out with our daughter, Alana, and uh, and she was unloading some shopping. I said, I'd, I'd walk the dog. It was about 10 o'clock at night. And I said, I haven't had time to empty the dishwasher. And she went, are you being a sergeant major and giving me instructions to empty the dishwasher as well? I went, oh, God, no, I'm really sorry. Yeah, I was oh, caught. Yes, I was doing that. Oh, my God. And uh, she she gave me a, a, a smile, but you know I had to apologize because I was I was in the wrong, and uh, there's better ways of doing it. Um, so yeah, we we we're learning all the time. Purpose uh, is the next one round. PQ meaning and purpose. Why do you do what you do, Doug? I think it's to um, to make a positive impact. I just want to help and coach and improve people and myself. You know, I want to be a better dad, husband, leader, but I also want others to to achieve more than they think is possible and especially my children and then i took my a good story on that is my my sons are one of them's on the autistic spectrum so challenged in that way and they're always a they're all not very brave and adventurous so we um for charity one of the the local politicians was doing a he was a chair of the county council and he was doing a load of walks i said i can't accompany you on any of your walks but let's do a fire walk at the end and we we raised a lot of money for a mental health charity, and I got special provision for my child, my two boys to do the firewalk. Wow! Because I thought that would push them out beyond their comfort zone, and they they did it, and they they loved it so much they did it twice, and they said, "Can we have a firewalk birthday party?" At which point I said, "No." <laughs> that, that was going to be too far, but yeah, they um, so but they you know, and they still hop back to that now. That was a long time. That was just before COVID, and they did it, but it just shows that you can put your mind to things you can you can if you're willing to try things you're willing to push your boundaries and get outside the comfort zone that takes real coach well certainly i have deep respect for that uh, and uh, reminds me of how your mind can play tricks with yourself if you convince yourself something is so for a long time you believe it to be so until it's not so so i was doing uh, as a, a young schoolboy, i was doing an introduction to the 2-9 commando uh, course at plymouth uh, in the Citadel, and um, we had our little commando sort of woolly cap on and our green overalls, and we were all running around. And they took us um, onto the assault course, and the guy goes, and it was a really frosty day, but the guy looked at his mate and he goes, Mick, he dips his hand into the water in this tank where there's this pipe, uh, a sewage pipe that you have to go along. One person shoves you along. You're nodding. You know what I mean. And the other person pulls you up by your hair or your webbing straps. And then you turn around, you shove him down and until all three of you have been through it. And he puts his hand, he goes, Mick, you left the thermostat on. This is really hot. They're going to burn themselves. No, it's not too hot. It's just like, just like really warm. But I mean, they won't scold themselves. It's not boiling. Okay, lads, right. We'll just be quick in here because it's a bit hot, but, you know, get through the tunnel it's pretty hot and get out the far side, shove the other guy. In. And then along here, there's a little, little, little cord in the tunnel because it's dark and just pull a little light switch and the lights will come on. You can see where you're going down the tunnel. Anyway, so we come to this and I jump in and I'm shoved down the tunnel and I go, it's hot, it's hot, it's hot. And I'm halfway down the tunnel. And I go, it's really cold. 
this is freezing. And of course, the brain was having a real problem with somehow I'd got in my brain that it they left the thermostat on. And so I get out and I shove the other guy and I thought, I've been had here. And anyway, there was a little little guy, Evans, who was just ahead of me and he was running towards the tunnel. I was just behind him and he was slowing us all down because he was pulling in the grass by the entrance to the tunnel. And the instructor goes, what are you doing, Evans? He goes, I'm finding the light switch, Sergeant, to, to pull the light. Yeah, you idiot, there's no light switch. I was playing with you. Huh? And you could see him sort of not comprehending that there wasn't a little cord to pull and nice lights to go on down the tunnel. It's dark and it's muddy in there. Get in there. And so it's funny how our brains play tricks with themselves. Thinking about doing crazy things like that is all part of our health and well-being. And health is important to you, whether it be your karate and things like that, Doug. What, what else do you do to look after your physical and your mental health? And what's your sort of top tips on on that? It's about, for me, it's about routine. You get in the habit and the routine and then you can do it. And it's interesting, my son, one of my middle son was, he used to wake up ridiculously early, like just wouldn't sleep. But and we used to just, you know, he but not to play, just like be awake, but not do anything. And then I got into the habit of being able to, I wanted to find some use for that time and I ended up starting exercise in that time. And I've not stopped since. And it's been really, really good for me to do that sort of, just watch sort of, start with some sort of YouTube videos and get into a bit of a routine. So that's been good. And then I try, I try hard with the sort of the headspace, the the meditation. I find that harder to develop the habit. I do it occasionally, but not, I've done some breath work on the um, Wim Hof stuff and that's good, but I, I find that harder to carve out the time. I just can't, but I, I know I need to. So, but, but it's about for me, it's about routine and habit. Once I'm in those routine and habits, it's much easier. You know, I put my gym gear down the side of the bed rather than yep. make it possible to do it. So. You, you've read the Atomic Habits. But also, um, the language is, of course, very important. As you say, you need to. If you need to, you won't probably do it. But if you want to. Yes. And uh, it, it's that's the language which is getting me into it. And so, for example, my morning routine is quite... Um, the morning and the evening bookends quite well structured um and lee knows now that you know there's a little whole routine i go through when i get up and um i write my daily journal five minute journal and i'm um then get down into the hot tub uh for about five minutes listening while i'm in the hot tub i listen to uh either headspace or calm the daily calm um i the daily jay jay shetty does a little a little five minute uh recording um and and then go into the cold plunge and and sit there it's the initial i know it's going to be freezing cold but i just find it's that first getting in there so i just don't even think about it. just step in get in there two minutes and and then you just get you get adjusted to it but it, it's a, a great way to start the day and then a few exercises or a bit of work and weights in the gym and then walking the dog and then bang i'm into the day which actually for me starts quite late at about 10 um, but might go through to six in the evening with uh, my midday 30 minute power nap, yeah. which I'm a big fan of. I tell you what, when I did that 500 kilometer cycle, it was day after day of relentless riding about 100 kilometers a day and some pretty uh, nasty hills in the first day. And and I didn't have my power naps. I really missed that. And it took the body quite a while to recover. But um, yeah, those those things sound good. Anything else that comes to mind about health and well-being, Doug? Not at this stage. I think it is 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 right. It's to make the time for it. Though I think is the key bit because you it does help you. It helps me uh, perform better, and it comes back to you. I make um I make less moral mistakes or anything if I'm optimizing that sort of that sort of 
operating my best physical yeah. and mental self. Yeah, they, they talk about it being we're almost like business athletes. We need to think of ourselves as that. And therefore, the prefrontal cortex, the left and right ventral lateral prefrontal cortex lights up uh, when we are healthier and when we're looking after our mental health. We can think better. But uh, I know that, uh, for example, in the recovery phase after the, the phenomenal cycle endurance competition or fundraiser, that I wasn't thinking too well. I was just exhausted. And and so you don't think well. And if if you have a bad night's sleep, you don't think well. Sleep is such a fundamental building block of people's um, ability to make decisions and think well. And as a CEO, your job is to make decisions. You're either evaluating decisions or you're making them. But as you said, getting the decisions made as low as, as they can be in the organization. Um Emotional intelligence is the next one. And on that topic of listening, what's your top tip for really being a good listener? What's what, what have you found works for you? I think it's 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 that presence, and it's a simple thing. Is um, how you sit. So if your feet are flat on the floor, you're in a better position to listen. And there's just you can make yourself, you can position your body and your mind in a way to be ready to listen it's, you know just have your feet flat on the floor it makes a a massive difference as opposed to just leaning back and feet up as a sort of all relaxed yeah no, I, I, I like that one and um I'm, i've got my feet flat on the floor now in fact as i stand here i've even taken my shoes off and just in my socks i can feel my feet on the floor and i'm at a standing desk for those who are listening to this one I uh, love and, and, and it's a great way of doing it and you know it, it also your diaphragm is um fully expanded not scrunched up and so you can speak with more resonance and uh personal power um so i found that works well the next one cq collaborative cultural and cognitive intelligence how do you get on with people who are very different from you doug um that's been a continually learning experience for me but with my son's um, being neurodiverse that has been an absolute eye-opener and it's something I have to continually learn every day you know and he's very different to my other son who's different to my daughter and I think having children has been the biggest biggest learning on that but the power of diversity and the power of thought of what they can achieve it's just it's it's mind-blowing really and I think that sort of getting the right the right peg in the right hole and can really be but finding what they are is it's just i think the more we learn the worse in some ways the more we learn the more we understand yeah you're a challenge yeah no i can i can understand that and it's interesting that i um in a different field of neurodiversity i'm also neurodiverse i might have mentioned that on this yeah. podcast so for me it's dyslexia and dyscalculia so i would not have been a good accountant in PricewaterhouseCoopers, which is why I was one of the strategy consultants, people, uh, rather than that. But how did you begin to get an indication with your son uh, that he was on the autism spectrum? What what kind of signals to, would people need to pick up? You know, there may be people listening now who are wondering, uh, how did you identify? I mean, I know there's tests that you can take, but what was you? what were you learning? It was my wife, I think, and just how he, it was a social anxiety aspect, so how he would interact with others. And it was my wife who was really, she's really good at that. She's really attuned to how people's emotions and people feeling. And she, she's the one who picked it up and 
because he's got an amazing skill of masking where he can look like he's happy when and and it's really he's just suffered from autistic burnout unfortunately so it's been a real sort of well that's so but yeah he can really do that we see his interaction with others where it was noticeable just tell us more about that i i haven't heard that expression before autistic burnout but it sounds like he was just trying so hard to cope in a world that's very different from him that he it just was too much is that that's, exa that's exactly it you're continually masking and you're giving trying to be whatever wants you to be and eventually it just wears you down and you know he stopped eating it was it was awful Jonathan he stopped eating yeah he's not gone back to school yet after this last half term so we're trying to help him on that journey yeah okay well look good luck with that and I hope if there are people listening they could perhaps reach out to you if they know ways of helping with this kind of thing because it's it's it must be quite a lonely place to be for your wife and yourself when you're trying to help, you know, you, you want to take away from your children. I know it's a natural instinct for me with grandchildren, any kind of pain that they're going through and try and I'll, I'll do it for you. I'll live it for you. But um, you can, you can't do that because one day they're going to have to be there without you. I think that's one of my biggest emotional intelligence learning, Jonathan, is that you can't always offer solutions. Sometimes you just got to every, everybody you listen and you want to offer a solution and I'm, I'm terribly solution focused so i can i've already got the solution in my mind but sometimes that's not what they just want to be heard and understood mm. and that's a massive that's been a real sort of learning for me over the last 10 years i think why yeah. not some yeah. people need to be heard not necessarily not necessarily helps then they will need help sometimes but at the right time yeah it, it is particularly uh and you've got to be i've got to be very careful here not to generalize everybody is unique but it does seem to be a gender problem for blokes who are in the ah oh, i can solve this one hey rip off my t-shirt and i've got superman tattooed on my chest and i'm gonna solve this problem and that's often not what everybody else wants they sometimes want you to see and hear them for the first time, I did a, an exercise with uh, when I was facilitating a a board and a leadership team together yesterday. It was a great day. And one of the things that I knew it was successful when people said that they felt seen and heard by their partner who had to have listened to them over five minutes while they were chatting. They had five minutes each way about what they wanted from the day, what their fears were and what skills and talents they brought to the team that they'd like to contribute. And when the other person said it to their approval with the thumbs up, they felt really seen and heard. And that created a high level of trust. And trust equals you know, speed times cost. Trust is high. Things happen quickly. Doesn't cost you very much at all. Trust is low. Things take forever and you have meeting after meeting and you sometimes even have to get the lawyers involved or mediation or someone else because um, you don't really trust the other person. Um, executive teams, I'll just uh, go on to executive teams. Um, what have you done when you've had to turn a team around that's a bit toxic, Doug? What's been your experience of how to do that? I mean, the textbook answer is to act quickly, isn't it? Is it that easy? No, but you've got to act quick, quickly and you've got to act decisively and you reap the rewards of that. But I think I think toxic is one thing, but I think the harder one is where they're just they're, where they're not quite not quite working out that sort of not where you're sort of bumping up the curve rather than overriding it. 
and it's those which I find the hardest because they're not as clear cut. Well, toxic is about doing the right thing, but where they you're just not making the progress you think you should be, and you can't put your finger on it, and it, I find those decisions and those challenges much harder to deal with than the sort of black and white toxic culture ones. Yeah, I, th- I think it's where you got someone who's nice, but they're just not performing. And, and and you can't, nothing big that you can say, you're fired. You know, you've transgressed some rule, but they're just, just constantly high maintenance and they're not quite delivering. And how do you deal with it? And you're a nice person. So you don't want, you know, they've got difficult family circumstances and they're going through a lot in their life. And, oh dear, what do I do? You know, perhaps I'll give them a bit longer of a chance. It's a, it's a really hard one. There's no easy answer for that, but there certainly needs to be a fair understanding of research into what the problem is and what the issue is and an agreed recognition of what is not working out. But then, as you say, decisive action. Um, what would be a favorite book for you on leadership and why would you pick that one? I, I read a lot. Jonathan, so I, this really, I find this really hard. I think some of the books I read recently, Think Again by Adam Grant, which is trying to sort of show you to reframe and to think differently. I really, I suppose the one I really like is The Barcelona Way by Damien Hughes. He's written a book about, or his professor, he's written a book about how they created that culture of Barcelona, the football team winning. But it's all about culture and about cultural architects and, and just the effort and how deliberate it, you can be with your culture and how intentional you can be and the re, you can reap the rewards of that. Yeah, culture is so difficult to put your fingers on it. But in, in, in the case of your organisation, you as the CEO, you do have a huge impact on the culture of the organisation. And they're learning you. They're learning how you behave, not your fine words. They're, like, they're, they're looking and they're going, what does he actually do? Oh, I see. So that's what's really acceptable. It's not what he says here. Or if you get it right, of course, he's going, what he says and what he does is aligned. He is authentic. He is high integrity. And and I feel safe with him. I trust him. And I'm prepared to give my discretionary life energy to him, to our customers, and to the organization. Does that resonate for you? Oh, absolutely. Every action you take um, leaves leadership shadow, doesn't it? And I think there's a, a really, I listened to um, the chairman of PwC in the podcast months ago, but I only listened to it recently. And he was talking about his interaction in the lift, where he used to be on his phone in the lift, but someone pointed out that these people who get the lift with you and they're 20,000 people, this is their one chance to speak to you. You've got that. And he said, now he gets in the lift and he speaks to everybody and doesn't look at his phone, doesn't take an important call because the leadership lad shadow that leaves. And you think, yeah, no, that's, that's so you know you've got to be you've got to can't be walking around the office on your phone all the time you've got to be saying hello or you've got to be in that yeah i thought it was really good that you you do simple to say anything every action you take leaves that sort of shadow with the, mm. the heart of the organization oh the phone the phone I, I remember once i i was doing a session with a group about emotional intelligence and they were they were pwc consultants senior pwc consultants very successful very wealthy and very good at what they did. One of them was high IQ, but low EQ. And he got me at the end. He said, Jonathan, you know, can we do a bit of extra work? I've got, you know, I'm, I'm not really getting on well with people and I'm not quite sure what it is. Can we talk it through? And I said, okay. 
I, I was actually going to go to the hotel. It is getting quite late now. But for you, I'll I'll stay. And uh, if you're really serious about this, let's work together. So we're five minutes in. And his phone rings. And he reaches for it. It's just over there. He doesn't know. He can't see the number. He reaches for it. And I went, stop. And he went, what? I said, do you know who that is? And he goes, no. I said, well, what message are you giving me? He said, well, that the person on the phone is more important than you are. And I go, are they? Because I don't know it until I answer the phone. I said, well, look, you asked me to give my time this evening for you to develop your emotional intelligence. And this is the biggest lesson is you think a phone, a brick, a technical bit of kit is much more important than a human. Let me tell you, it's not. And if you're really serious about this, you've got to switch it off and put it away and be with people when you're with them. And it was a lesson for me as much as for him. Um, but, you know, those moments when I've been distracted or sitting there on the phone rather than with people, it's a real problem these days, isn't it? It's it's a disease. Absolutely. It's an addiction. It's an addiction. So, um, Dirk Field, would you introduce yourself in a moment? Um Say the in who you are, the role you're doing, and what your top leadership tip is to end our call. Brilliant. Thanks, Jonathan. So, yeah. Hi, I'm Doug, Chief Executive of the Vibrant East of England Co-op, a cooperative society which is over 150 years young and continues to grow with passion and purpose. In terms of a top leadership tip, I think it's about asking questions because questions can unlock so many things about an, an individual, understand the individual, understand an organization and just a lot of value across so many spectrums and i think it spares learning and ideas and can create trust and help help improve well doug field thank you very much indeed lovely having you on this uh, podcast and also just the range of conversations and topics from your own reading and your own experience that you're able to share with us all thank you very much indeed thank you johnson really enjoyed it Thank you for listening. We hope we've ignited your curiosity and broadened your perspectives. My guests and I provide this service to you for free. All we ask in return is that you share it now with one other leader you know, so they also benefit too. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your podcast platform. We value your feedback and invite you to connect with us through my website, jonathanperks.com, where you can sign up for your weekly podcast newsletter. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. I'm your host, Jonathan Bowman Perks, and thank you for joining us on the Inspiring Leadership Podcast. You can hear another unique guest next Tuesday. Goodbye. Goodbye.